This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. You're listening to Season 7, and every week this season, we bring you content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together other like-minded organizations who are all focused on making disciples. Our goal is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker. Before we get started into the featured content for today, I want you to know about an ebook called Multiply Disciples by Winfield Bevins, which Discipleship.org released in partnership with Exponential. Multiply Disciples draws wisdom from church history by looking at several important disciple-making movements, the Celtic movement, the Moravian movement, and the Methodist movement. These movements offer vital contributions to the church that can help you rediscover the power of making and multiplying disciples of Jesus Christ in the 21st century. Author Winfield Bevins is the director of church planting at Asbury Theological Seminary, and you can download his ebook, Multiply Disciples, at discipleship.org slash ebooks, or click on the link in the show notes. Today we're featuring an episode from Renew and their track at the National Disciple Making Forum. The track is The Teaching of Jesus to Fuel Disciple Making, and the episode for today is called LGBTQ Struggles and Discipleship, featuring Guy Hammond. Take a listen. All right, well, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, so honored to be here. I appreciate Renew.org in, in uh, having me come. I spoke yesterday at their conference, and so glad I can today. If you were at the Renew.org conference yesterday and you heard me speak, then some of what you're about to hear is going to be overlap, but not all of it. Um, but I uh, really appreciate you being here to hear and for us to have a dialogue and discussion about a real controversial issue, LGBT issues, and how to specifically uh, help Christians who come from that background live faithful Christian lives and uh, to try to maybe understand a little bit better the struggles that a same-sex attracted Christian would face and how we can be as a church supportive and helpful in a pragmatic way to give them the tools they need to live faithful Christian lives before God. Uh, so my name is Guy Hammond. I'm uh, an evangelist from Canada. I've led several different churches across Canada uh, in the denomination that I belong to. And about uh, 10 years ago, started this ministry, Strength in Weakness. It's just a side ministry. I, I thought to myself at the time that uh, I didn't feel like most churches really had a very uh, pragmatic approach uh, or a holistic approach to being able to help Christians who come from a homosexual background but whose followers of Jesus still live with unwanted same-sex attractions. And I also felt like there was really no plan in place for us to be able to uh, be able to share our faith and the good news of Jesus with gay and lesbian people in our communities in a way that doesn't lower what the Bible says on sexual ethics but uplifts the love, mercy, and compassion of Christ. So I started this ministry at the time. I thought if I could find 30 Christians who are same-sex attracted, that would be amazing. Like if I find 30, I don't even know where I'd find 30. So I started this little website, and then we found 30 in the first week. And then it grew past 500, and then it went past 1,000. And so the ministry, just over the 10 years, has continued to grow to a point that six years ago, my wife and I quit our jobs pastoring churches just to do this full-time because the ministry is now spread into over 70 countries around the world. I have a staff of 12 people helping me, and... It's just uh, turned into something much larger than I ever anticipated. So um, that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we might have time for Q&A afterwards, but if we don't, I'm going to give you a way that you can contact me in my ministry. If you have questions or would like to connect, uh, we can certainly do that. So it's not the end of the world if we're not able to uh, talk today. And unfortunately, I, I need to leave pretty quickly. I have a flight back to Canada 
uh, not too long after we're done here. So I'm going to skedaddle. I, I won't be able to stay afterwards to have a lot of conversations as I wish I could. I'm sorry about that. But uh, you can certainly uh, contact me up in Canada or even come up to Canada and visit. Although when I left, it was snowing, so you might not want to be able to do that. So probably here's a good place for us to be able to start, is just talk about what the Bible says on the issue of homosexuality. Um, and these are the five main passages where uh, this issue is discussed in a direct fashion. The Bible talks about homosexuality in more of a roundabout way, about 30 times. Like, for instance, you get the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, that kind of thing. Um, but in terms of uh, sexual ethics and how God feels about the issue of homosexuality. Um, these are the five main ones. And there's not a lot to go on there, uh, you would think. We only get five scriptures, but surprisingly, we can learn quite a bit. So, for instance, I think it's important for us to recognize that out of these five, uh, these come from both the Old and the New Testaments. Uh, these scriptures between Leviticus and the ones that Paul wrote in the New Testament were written thousands of years apart to highly different cultures and different languages. And why is that important? Well, it's important because, first of all, this shows us uh, a consistency between how God felt about sexual ethics between the Old Testament and the New Testament. A lot of times people like to use these two passages here as their proof text as why homosexuality uh, is not representative of what God intended for human sexuality. I personally think that's a mistake because these two scriptures here are sandwiched in between a whole bunch of other injunctions that scripture is given in what's called the holiness code. Uh, for instance, it's in these very same chapters, you know, that it talks about the fact that you shouldn't eat shellfish, which means none of us can go to Red Lobster if we were to follow that law today. Uh, that, you know, you shouldn't touch the skin of a dead pig, which means none of you should be watching football next weekend. Uh, uh, you know, that you can't wear certain clothes made out of uh, different fabrics, which means most of us are probably going to have to take off our clothes right now. So if you're going to use these two Leviticus passages as your proof text is that homosexuality is sinful, I think that's a mistake. The, 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 the positive part about what we have here in Leviticus is that it shows us a consistency over 1,500 years between what was written here and what was written here. And so when people say to me, well, God, you can't trust what the Bible says on sexual ethics. This is 2019, and I live in Nashville. So, right, the Bible has nothing to do with my life. But this is a different time, a different culture. This stuff was written thousands of years ago. So you can't tell me that the Bible is... Uh, you know, in line with, you know, the world I live in, this is antiquated stuff. Well, then, you know, the Apostle Paul had the same problem because this was written 1,500 years apart, read to different cultures and different languages. So what does this show us? I just believe that on some things it shows us that uh, some things doctrinally, these things supersede time and culture. We do get some things uh, biblically where you could put it down to culture, like, for instance, um, you know, injunctions against men having long hair or... Uh, you know, women having a, a head covering in service. You know, those things I think are culturally bound. But, but we do get other things here like sexual ethics, and I think it shows us that because it supersedes time and culture, how God felt about sexual ethics 3,500 years ago is how God felt about sexual ethics 2,000 years ago. It's how he feels about sexual ethics today, and if there are any human beings walking around 1,000 years from now, uh, you know, it is still how God will feel about sexual ethics. Now, I know that that is not a popular message in our world and in our culture today. And you, maybe some of you might be surprised to know that that is not even a popular message within a lot of churches today. Um, so what is my understanding then of what the biblical sexual ethic is? Based on those five scriptures and the other scriptures that we got on heterosexual activity, my understanding of sexual ethics is this, is that sexual intimacy is to be reserved 
between that of a man and a woman bound together only in marriage. And anything outside of those confines is not representative of what God intended for human sexuality. So God calls it sin, okay? So that's what, that's what I believe. That's how I live. That's what my ministry is about. Uh, we are not about a pro-gay theology. We are not about trying to convince anybody that it's possible to be gay and a Christian. I completely disagree with that theology. But this is a theology that has uh, really got some headwind and is invading churches all, all, all across North America. Uh, and a lot of churches, even some in denominations that you would find very surprising, are starting to capitulate to society and culture and to this idea that it is possible to be gay and a Christian, something that I would strongly disagree with. So... Uh, I recognize that the stuff that we're talking about today is controversial. You may not agree with everything that I'm going to talk about today. That's okay. I'm just so glad we're getting the chance to talk about it. This has been a subject that for far too long has stayed silent. The whole world is talking about it except the church, it seems. And we're not talking about it, not because we don't care. We care. But, you know, it's controversial. We don't want to put our foot in our mouth. Uh, we don't want to yell and scream. We don't want to fight and argue. We don't want to hurt people's feelings. So then most Christians think, well, I guess on this issue then, I'll just stay quiet. And then what ends up happening is you have all these Christians staying quiet on this very controversial uh, hot-button issue that everybody else in the world is talking about except the Christians. And if there's anybody who should have a holistic, spirit-filled, hope-filled message on issues like homosexuality and LGBTQ issues, it should be Jesus' church. So it's good that we're talking about it, and I'm hoping that in the short time we have together today, you have a little bit a better understanding on the issue so it's not so mysterious and maybe a little bit more confidence uh, as you deal with this issue. I myself don't have all the answers. So I lead this international ministry. We're helping thousands of people in 70 countries around the world. I'm the executive director of the organization, uh, and I don't have all the answers uh, on things like homosexuality, transgender issues, sexual identity issues. Holy smokes, I mean, come on. These things are so complex. Uh, I myself have to be willing to live within the tension of uncertainty on the things that we're discussing. So I don't have all the answers. So you're gonna to leave today going, he didn't answer my question. I know I probably have the same question that you do. That's okay, like I said, at least we're discussing this. So even though we may not all agree on process, how to deal with this within the church, how to deal with this evangelistically, I would think that probably most of us, uh, I don't wanna paint everyone with the same broad uh, brush, but I would think that probably most of us would agree with what I just said was the, the traditional biblical sexual ethic, that sexual intimacy is to be reserved between that of a man and a woman bound together only in marriage. Not everybody may agree with that, but I think most of us probably would in this room. Um, but you will probably disagree with me on some stuff. That's okay. Here's the one thing, though, that I think we can all agree on, and that is that every person needs to be treated with dignity, kindness, and respect, regardless of their, what they're attracted to regardless of how they decide to live their lives, regardless of their response to Jesus, every person needs to be treated with dignity, kindness, and respect. So while we may disagree on process and some other stuff here this afternoon, that I would like to think uh, that we're all in line with and that we would all agree with. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about myself. Um, so uh, I grew up going, uh, going to a church. My dad was actually a, a minister of a, of a small church in the community that we lived in in Canada. And um, a lot of chaos in our home, though, growing up. Uh, my mother had a lot of adulterous relationships. And um, uh, as I was growing up as a teen, uh, you know, it wasn't uncommon for me and my dad to have to go try to find her, what apartment she was in next, what hotel she was at. Uh, we were the perfect Christian family on Sundays. Dad was preaching. Mom was sitting in the front row. She'd teach Sunday school in the lady classes. I mean, we had it all going on on Sundays. But behind the scenes, behind closed doors, where nobody else went, our 
home I grew up in was chaos, full of lies, fighting, arguing. Uh, it was a terrible scene. Uh, I myself, uh, you know, was, was uh, in a mess. So um, I'll tell you as a point of personal history that I was sexually molested by a man uh, when I was eight years old. Uh, and then I started acting out uh, sexually with the kid that I played hockey with. Uh, and that started around the age of 12. How much of the fact that I was uh, sexually molested by a man would have contributed to me being same-sex attracted? I don't know. I mean, it certainly didn't help. But um, I recognized around the age of 12, 13 years old, you know, right when everybody's going through this thing called puberty, I recognized all my friends are all of a sudden attracted to girls and noticing girls, and I wasn't. I didn't know what that was called. I didn't know why that was happening. I didn't understand. But I was acting out with this kid that I played hockey with, Carl, and that ended up being a relationship that continued until I was in my mid-20s. And so through those years, we considered each other boyfriends. Of course, culture and society was very different back then. We're talking 19s, late, you know, mid to late 1970s, early 1980s. And so back then, you know, this was something that had to be kept very quiet. Uh, we weren't able to really show any affection uh, in a public way. Uh, but, um, you know, certainly privately we had this relationship going on, Carl and I. That was, I he was my boyfriend for 10 years. We broke up when I was in my early 20s. And, um, but I remember those years being very confusing to me. Growing up in church, I, I did believe, and no one understand anyway, that homosexuality was sinful. But, and I didn't know why I was experiencing what I was experiencing. I can tell you this, um, I never chose anyone who chose what they're attracted to. You know, I think attractions are very automatic and involuntary. I think we have very little say about what we're attracted to. Now, we are 100% responsible for what we do with our attractions. That we're responsible for. But the attractions in and of itself, an attraction is neutral in nature. It's neither good nor bad. It's just a thing. It's what you do with the attraction that determines whether it becomes a good thing or a bad thing. I never, attract, I never chose to be attracted to the same gender, but certainly started making terrible decisions in my youth uh, that did not help. And... Uh, so anyway, uh, you know, I, um, I remember 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, those years, uh, you know, so desperately wanting to get advice, help, perspective, but didn't know where to go. School would not have been a safe place to get help. Uh, church was not a safe place. The only thing I heard at church was that homosexuals were wicked and evil and going to hell. Uh, my dad was a, a kind guy, uh, but there was nothing but chaos in our home. And besides that, whenever the issue of homosexuality came up, you know, he made it really clear how repugnant homosexuals were to him. So home did not feel like a safe place. So I remember those years going to bed at night, looking up at the ceiling, uh, you know, crying myself to sleep, unsure of what it was I had done to become the center of everybody's hatred and so desperately wanting an answer. Uh, as I was heading into my late teens and early 20s, uh, this is me when I was 19 years old. I have a little bit of my hair going on there, I recognize. Um, but... Um, yeah, you know, by then I was deciding to give up on God and church and Bible and ended up moving to Toronto, uh, which, was, of course, is Canada's largest city and has a large gay population. And it was there that uh, I really started crossing a lot of dangerous lines. And by the time I was 24 years old, um, I had acted out hundreds of times uh, with different men, parked cars, public bathrooms. Of course, there was no internet back then. You just had to kind of know where to go and where to meet people. And, and uh, so I was a part of that world. And by the time I was 24, I knew my life was a mess. I desperately needed help. I didn't know where to go. And in God's perfect timing, he sent somebody who invited me to church. And I was like, oh, church. I know all about church. I don't need that again. Um, but he kept inviting, and I was like, finally, you know, guy, you got nowhere else to go. Maybe this church will be different. So I went, 
And I loved it. It was different than anything I'd seen before. It was not like the church I had grown up in. And, uh, you know, so I, I continued to go. The, the short story is I went for two years. Two years of building relationships. Two years of hearing the message. Two years of learning about Jesus and the Bible and what it really meant to be a Christian. And after two years, I finally decided I wanted Jesus more than I wanted homosexuality. And so I studied the Bible. God opened and transparent about who I was and all the ridiculous sin I had been involved in. And I was baptized on August 15th, 1987. And I can tell you, I have not, I have not participated in any kind of homosexual activity since my conversion uh, 33 years ago. And so it's amazing what God has done over the years. One thing I never thought that would happen is that I would get married. I didn't know how that would happen. And yet I found this lovely lady. Um, uh, she just became a tremendous friend. I felt safe with her. I wasn't attracted to Kathy the way a heterosexually attracted man would be. I've never been attracted to a woman. Uh, as a side point, I'll let you know I'm still same gender attracted. It's never changed. I'm just as attracted to men today as I was the day I became a Christian 33 years ago. Although, as I said, I've not participated in that because of my convictions of what the Bible teaches on this. Uh, but I'm still attracted to men. Uh, but Kathy and I were married for an amazing 28 years, such a blessing to my life. And um, I love showing the picture uh, of my family because, you know, it's just like, wow, God, I'm so undeserving of this, you know, that God would give me a family. Uh, a, a guy who was acting out hundreds of times with different guys in park cars, park cars and malls, and, you know, then God lets me do this. And I'm just so grateful. I'll introduce you to my family. This is my uh, son, Wyatt. Wyatt is 24 years old and is a uh, elementary school teacher in Madrid, Spain. Uh, this is my daughter, Ellie. Ellie is 26 years old and uh, right now works for the Canadian government for the Ministry of the Environment. Uh, this is my son, uh, Greg. Uh, this is Greg and Kristen. We adopted Greg and Kristen when they were 9 and 10 years old. Uh, so they've been in our family for the last, uh, you know, 12 years. Uh, Greg, the only thing he's interested in is cars. That, like, literally, that's the only thing we're interested in. But it could be a lot worse, right? So uh, he works in an auto body shop in Toronto. And then my daughter, uh, Kristen, I jokingly say she's only interested in the most important things in life, like jewelry and makeup. So anyway, that's my family. And I love my family. So grateful for how God has blessed me. Uh, and, you know, I just wake up every day recognizing I'm too blessed to stress, right? Like, who am I that I've been given all that I've been given? Uh, of course, you know, life hits you at different times in different ways. And um, in, in my life, my family, my wife and kids and I went through a very tragic and difficult time in our lives. Uh, Kathy and I had been traveling throughout Europe speaking at different churches on this issue. And um, we came home from that. This was in August of uh, 2017. And uh, Kathy was just feeling really tired and kind of off is the best way I could say that. And, you know, we just were like, honey, you're tired. We were getting ready to go on a trip to Brazil. And I was like, you just got to rest up. And she was like, I can't get on any more planes. I can't do any more travel. I can't do any more speaking. Something's wrong. And, and uh, she woke up the next day, actually, and was unable to open her left eye or move her left arm. And so we rushed her to the hospital um, only to find out that it was a stage four brain cancer. And so they did emergency brain surgery on Kathy and realized that the cancer had spread too far. There was no hope. And so they gave her six months to a year to live. And uh, this is a picture of Kathy and I uh, taken about uh, four months before she died. And uh, she passed away uh, last August. So it's been just over a year that Kathy died. So, uh, you know, I'm just uh, so enormously grateful. She died a very faithful, godly woman looking forward to heaven. It was... Um, the uh, honor and a privilege of a lifetime to 
be holding her hand when she passed off into eternity. And I was just so proud of her for making it to heaven. And so I miss her like crazy. Think about her every day. Uh, we came here to this event actually two years ago. She was with me at this. Um, it was funny. We'd had a class downstairs, Kathy and I. She was in her wheelchair. Uh, it was the last, I think, the last trip she made actually before she couldn't travel anymore. And uh, about six people came to the class downstairs. So this is a better audience. This is, we're getting, this is an improvement. Uh, anyway, this is the ministry that uh, Kathy and I started, Strength and Weakness. And so I would ask you to check it out. Tons of information there, guys. Our goal is to serve the church, right? We want to help you. So strengthinweakness.org. And uh, lots of information there. And it's a lot of information there to help Christians who, who are like me, who are same-sex attracted. We want to uh, help educate the church, give tools, uh, bridge building language and the help that our churches need to be able to deal with this issue. We want to help our pastors and our ministers, our, uh, our, 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 um, our church workers to be able to have the tools they need to be able to deal with this within our congregations and our communities. And we want to help uh, all of you. So strengthandweakness.org, that's where you can uh, learn a lot more about what we're doing. So uh, as I said, the ministry is just really growing. Um, that's an old slide. It says we're in 58 countries around the world. Strength and Weakness is now in, in 70 countries. And uh, we've got a transgender ministry, an AIDS ministry. We've, uh, the biggest ministry we have actually is our parents' ministry, where we help parents who have same-sex attracted kids. Uh, and I spend the majority of my time traveling around the world, uh, mostly in the United States, uh, speaking in churches uh, on this issue. So I do workshops. Uh, that's, that's my gig. And I've written several books. So uh, that's what our ministry is. So please avail yourself to our resources and what we have. Um, I would like to give you guys something. And so this is one of the books I wrote. It's called Thriving Beyond the Margins, How the Same Sex Attracted Can Live Faithful Christian Lives. And actually what this is, is six Bible studies I wrote. I tried to answer every question that a, uh, a, a gay person would have uh, about, and, and any objections they would have to becoming a Christian. And I put it into six Bible studies. And the idea is, is that it, it, you, it wouldn't replace your current Bible study protocol, whatever you do in your local congregation when you're bringing people to Christ, but you would have that in your library and then you would be able to, um, you know, include that with anybody who's a pro-gay proponent. And uh, so anyway, I'd like to give that for, to you for free. I, instead of like bringing boxes of books and giving them all out, um, I'm going to show you how here in a second, but I'll give you my email address. And if you're like, hey, I'd like that. I'll send you a digital copy. It's free. We normally sell it for 10 bucks on my website, but this is a new audience for me, and I'm trying to get my ministry to be known uh, to different churches and to different people, and we want to serve the church. So uh, that is available. The other thing, um, if you're interested, and if you're a pastor or a church leader and you'd like a copy of this, I'm willing to send this to you as well. Um, I, uh, uh, several years ago, well, four years ago, I was speaking at an event in, in uh, San Antonio, Texas, and at this event, somebody came up to me and said, hey, listen, I'm a documentary filmmaker, and um, I'm, we're looking for a new project right now, my company is, and you know, I've heard your story, can we make a movie about your life? So anyway, that sounded kind of weird to me. I couldn't imagine anybody wanting to watch a movie about my life, but um, anyway, we, Kathy and I talked about it, we talked about it to the kids, and they were like, yeah, Dad, let's give it a shot, you know, what's the worst that could happen? I was like, oh yeah, a lot could happen. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, uh, the movie, uh, the movie is uh, just completed, and it was uh, nominated at, the, uh, at last year. It was nominated at the International Christian Film Festival for Best Documentary and Best Director. And um, so uh, uh, right now it's available to churches to, you know, you use your church as a theater. You know, you buy a license. For, I think the license is 200 bucks. You buy a license, and then you can show the movie to your church. Um, so uh, I'd also like to give you a copy of the movie if you're interested. All I would ask is that you honor this. 
You don't show it to your church. You just keep it for your private viewing. And if you look at it and you're like, this would be helpful. My church needs to see this. Great. Then, then contact us and we'll tell you how to buy a license. But, you know, I'd like for you to be able to at least be able to see the movie. So if you promise not to pass it around all your friends, just keep it for yourself. Uh, then uh, I'd like you to be able to have a copy of the movie as well. I'll show you the trailer to the movie. It's only about two minutes long. But just to give you a gist of what this looks like, here it is. Uh, movie's called Finding Guy. Don't give me a hard time. I did come up with the title, okay? Uh, but you can learn more about the movie at findingguy.com. And, uh, but, as I said, for the people who are in this room who aren't going to share it with all their friends, uh, if you'd like a copy of the movie, I'll send it to you. All you've got to do is send me an email. And uh, I thought I had a slide there that would show you that email, but apparently I don't. Let's see. Do I have a slide that shows you that? That's not very helpful, is it? See, you know, I guess you don't get a free movie in a free book then, do you? So here's how you do it. It's info, I-N-F-O, info um, at strengthinweakness.org. Strength in, I-N, weakness.org. Info at strengthinweakness.org. All right? All right. So now I'm having just a moment of insecurity. So I'm going to ask you just to be patient with me because, oh, yeah, okay, we're good. I just panicked for a second. I thought maybe I've got yesterday's presentation going on here, and that wouldn't be good. So, let's see here. This is very unprofessional, but then you paid to see me, so don't want to worry about it. <laughs> slideshow, slideshow, and pray, pray. Current slide. Okay, great. Thank you. So, um, I'd like to... Uh, talk in our final half hour together more specifically about how to help Christians follow King Jesus to how can we help Christians who, who like me, believe in the traditional biblical sexual ethic. As I said, there is another ethic going on out there called pro-gay theology that says you can be gay and a Christian. I strongly disagree with that. I, can, I cannot imagine how possibly a Christian man or woman who is attracted to the same gender could be sexually involved with somebody of the same sex and, and be a Christian. I cannot imagine it. And I have devoted my life, 33 years, of not living that way. Everything inside of me says that uh, being attracted to the same sex, it's natural. As I said, I never chose it. And it feels very real to me. And I, but I can't, cha- and I can't change it. And I spent many, spent many years trying to become attracted to women. Probably the first 15 years of my Christian life, I was really trying to figure out, praying, begging, asking God, help me to become attracted to women. And uh, it never happened. And so here I am 33 years later, and, and time and time again, what I keep hearing from God is, God, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. And I've since quite a, quite a, while, quite a while ago now, got off the treadmill of trying to become heterosexually attracted, as if somehow that would have been the answer to all my problems in, li- in life. There's nowhere in the Bible that says you have to be heterosexually attracted to be a Christian, right? And it's not like all you heterosexuals have got to figure it out either. I mean, you guys are a mess too. So, you know, and, and I kind of I reason it like this. If I, woke up, uh, if I woke up this morning here in Nashville attracted to women, I guess I would take it, although I've never been attracted to a woman before, so I don't even know what that would be like. But if I did wake up this morning, all of a sudden noticing girls, I guess I'd take it, but I, again, what difference would that make? Um, if I was attracted to women, I'm not allowed to think anything I want, do anything I want. I have to live my life with boundaries and restraint and strive to live a holy life. So, okay, but if I'm attracted to guys, I'm not allowed to think anything I want, do anything I want. I have to live my life with boundaries and restraint. And I have to strive to live a holy life. 
So if I'm attracted to girls, I have to live a holy life. If I'm attracted to guys, I have to live a holy life. So what do I care what I'm attracted to? I'm just going to try to live a holy life. Uh, and that doesn't mean I'm going to live a perfect life, but I'm going to live a faithful life and, and just do the best I can and trust in God's grace, you know? So now that's how I've devoted my life for the last 33 years. And I'll tell you, if I could have figured out a way doctrinally to be able to live a gay life and be a Christian, have my cake and eat it too, I would have figured that out. I'm telling you, it is, I think, an insult to uh, the Bible, insult to, to Christ, uh, to, to, for people to gather around them, a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear, that you can be gay and a Christian. Completely disagree with that theology. So, if, uh, how do we help, though, Christians who do understand doctrinally, that being actively involved in homosexuality is sinful, not a part of God's plan for human sexuality. So if they want to follow Jesus, they have to be like Guy Hammond and deny those feelings and live for Christ. Well, my first message is, is that for the Christian, the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality. For the Christian, the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. So I tell Christians all the time, wow, you're same-sex attracted. Uh, Great. Uh, Listen, a lot of people think that it's like this. Same-sex attraction in Jesus' church, it's like this, right? And I'm like, no, it's not like that. It's like this. There is a place for you in Jesus' church. God is not ashamed of you or embarrassed of you because you're same-sex attracted. I don't think God cares about what we're attracted to. I mean, outside of the fact that it might cause you and I some stress, maybe he cares at that level. But I don't think God stays up late at night worried about the fact that I'm attracted to men. I think God is like, guy, I love you. My son died for you. I think you're amazing. Go do something great with your life. Like, that's it. And just do the best you can to live a holy life. So I say to Christians all the time, listen, that is the ultimate goal that we have. And I recognize, you know, that um, it's not an easy life. Trust me, I live it. Everything inside of me says that the best way for me to get my emotional, relational, and spiritual needs met is in the arms of another man, for whatever reason. How much of it is nature? How much of it is nurture? I don't know, but I'm telling you, everything inside of me says, guy, only in the arms of another man, only by being loved and cared for by another man, only by giving yourself to another man will you ever get those needs met. That's how I'm wired for whatever reason. So to follow the Christian sexual ethic and what the Bible says, to deny that every day is a, is a continual, of, uh, I'm continually having to crucify Guy Hammond over and over again, which is great. That's biblical. That's, that's doctrinal. That's what it's all supposed to be about. I mean, Guy Hammond has died. Christ is alive inside of me, uh, right? Jesus is my identity, not what I'm sexually attracted to. So uh, it's an honor and privilege for me to be able to live that way. Not an easy life to live, but I wouldn't go back to homosexuality for anything. 14 years living the gay life, hundreds of, hundreds of times with all these different guys, my boyfriend for 10 years. I know that life. Been there, done that. When Guy Hammond was in charge, Guy Hammond did nothing but make a mess of his life. So I know what happens when Guy Hammond is in charge. It's not a pretty picture. So you know what? I'm like, I'm more than happy to let Jesus be in charge. Give my life to him. Uh, when that happens, life is a lot better for me. So... Um, Here are some suggestions and ways I think we can help Christians like me who are same-sex attracted. The first thing I think, if you have somebody in your church who's same-sex attracted, the first thing that you need to try to be able to do, if somebody ever comes to you and says, hi, my name is Bob, and I just want you to know I'm attracted to the same sex. I'm homosexually attracted. If anybody comes to you and says that, the first thing that should probably come out of your mouth is something like, Wow, I cannot believe how difficult that must have been for you to tell me that. Uh, I just want you to know 
that there isn't anything you could say or do that would let me think less of you or love you less. And I'm here for you and we're gonna get through this together. If anybody comes to you in your church and says that they're same-sex attracted, that's the kind of response we need to be able to have. And, and then we wanna be able to start helping them. One of the best ways that you can help them is to create an environment where it is easy for people to be open and transparent while respecting people's need for privacy and confidentiality. Uh, every time in my 33-year history of being in churches, I, for whatever reason, felt like I needed to be open and transparent with a new person about the fact that I'm attracted to men. I'm telling you, it was a terrifying event. Every time over the years, when I had a new friend and somebody that I was choosing to be involved in my life as a, as a, as a close and trusted spiritual advisor, and I'd, I'd say, okay, I need you to tell, I need you to, I need to tell you something about myself. Uh, I used to be gay and I'm attracted to men and I live with that reality every day. Every time I had to say those words, I was like, oh, I can't believe I have to say that again. Like even now, quite honestly, you know, I travel around the world. I don't, how many thousands of times have I told my story? I mean, they made a movie about it for pity's sakes. Honestly, I'm like, like even talking to you guys, I don't know, I know any of you people. I know Jason, barely. I don't know any of you. But, you know, it's weird to stand up in front of a group of people and say, hey, my name's Guy and I like men. Like, come on, that's weird. So, so I'm, I'm like, oh, am I going to say every time, hey, here's Guy Hammond. As I'm walking up to the mic, I'm like, I can't believe I'm about to say this out loud again. Why do I say that? Because if somebody in the church is telling you that they're same-sex attracted, it is a big deal. It took a lot of courage for them to go there. And one of the ways you're going to help them the most is to make it easy for them to be open and transparent on an ongoing basis by respecting the need for privacy and confidentiality. So I tell people all the time, 18 and over, in my ministry, my rules are 18 and over, unless I think you're gonna hurt yourself or someone else or, 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 or uh, break a law, whatever you tell me stays between you and me. 17 and under, all bets are off. I do not pro promise privacy and confidentiality to teenagers in my ministry. We will help you go to your parents, we'll give you the words, we'll help you be successful, but nope, I'm not, I don't promise privacy and confidentiality to teenagers. 18 and over, uh, whatever the deal is, uh, they won't, uh, the Iranians can capture me and pull my fingernails out, they won't get it out of me. So, you need to provide privacy and confidentiality. Uh, and, you know, um, my apology to any uh, Iranians in the audience. Um, so, I, it's, not that, it's not that you shouldn't go to other people for advice and help. You probably may need to. All I'm saying is, is that when somebody comes to you and wants to start talking about their life, you, they need to know that you're not gonna go home and tell your wife, or you're not gonna go home and tell your husband, or you're not gonna on the phone call your minister and say, you wouldn't believe what Joe, who just joined the church, told me. You're not gonna do that. You're gonna respect people's need for privacy and confidentiality. Uh, and if you feel like you do need to escalate the situation by going to another uh, pastor or somebody else who's more authoritative maybe in this area and you'd like to get some help, maybe an elder in the church or something, do that, do it. But just do that with the person. Go to them and say, listen, I wanna help you be successful as a Christian, but let's do this together. We need to escalate this to somebody that knows more than we do and is a spiritual trusted advisor. And so let's go to one of the elders in the church so we can talk and get some perspective and direction. But let's do that together. And you find somebody together that, that they would trust. But don't just go around and start talking about people's uh, problems uh, without their permission. The second thing I think you need to do is you need to not offer simplistic antidotes to complex realities and don't make promises that you can't keep. So like when I first became a Christian, you know, I would hear things like, no, I'm not, I'm not even kidding you because when I say these things, you're going to be no guy, you're making that up. And I'm not. 
okay? So when I first became a Christian, somebody told me, you know, this whole same-sex attraction thing of yours, uh, do you play a lot of sports? I think if you played more sports, that would really help you. And I was thinking to myself, really? So this lifelong struggle of being same-sex attracted, your answer to that is I play more soccer. Like, come on, like, don't insult me. Uh, I had people tell me, like when I was studying to become a Christian, actually, uh, I was told, don't worry, when you get baptized, oh yeah, that'll, that'll go away. You don't worry, you're not gonna have to deal with that. Really? You're gonna make that promise that you can't keep? Because I'm here 33 years later, pal, and guess what? Right, I'm still struggling with it. I heard people tell me, oh yeah, don't worry, get married to a woman? Oh yeah, that's gonna go away. You're not gonna be attracted to men anymore. Well, I was married to Kathy for 28 years. Guess what? I was never physically attracted to Kathy. I was emotionally, relationally, spiritually. She was my best friend, but I was never physically attracted to Kathy. So don't make promises you can't keep and don't offer simplistic antidotes. Don't insult people with simplistic antidotes to problems that are this complex and real. I even had a pastor of a church, not kidding you, who said to me, you know, I've really been thinking about your homosexual thing, and I'm telling you, I bet you if you stared at heterosexual porn long enough, it would awaken some, uh, you know, heterosexual feelings inside of you. Have you ever looked at heterosexual porn? No, I haven't. Well, I think you should, you should probably do that. And my thought was, and they pay you for this. Like, <laughs> seriously? So come on. I mean, it's just some of the stuff I've heard is absolutely ridiculous. The other thing I would suggest is that we help people create boundaries. So when I became a Christian in the church that I was uh, converted in in 1987, I mean, bless their hearts, but they didn't know what to do with me. I mean, how do you, you know, I just went cold turkey, right? Acting out hundreds of times with all these men, living this gay life. I, oh, I'm baptized. Hey, I'm here now. Uh, I'm never going back to life again. And the church is like, ha, welcome. <laughs> we have no idea how to help you. And, and there wasn't like other ministries like strength in weakness for me to go to. I was just on my own. And uh, so here I'm this 24-year-old kid, and I'm like trying to, my apologies to everybody here who's 24 who thinks that I, I just said you're a kid. Um, but when you're 56, you're a kid. So anyway, <laughs> sorry, going down rabbit holes here, aren't I? Um, anyway, I just knew I, I, I needed to figure this out. I was like, guy, if you're not going to go back to living your gay life, you got you to gotta be careful, man. You're going to have to watch your life really carefully. So I started coming up with self-imposed boundaries and limitations. Like, um, well, uh, I, as I said, I used to meet men in public bathrooms to have sex. So I remember, not just maybe a week, a week after getting baptized, I'm like, oh, I, I was at a movie or something with some guys. I was like, oh, I need to go use the bathroom. Then I thought, wait a second. Um, okay, you're a Christian now. And you used to meet men in this bathroom to, to possibly go have sex with. So should you be going into a public bathroom? And I thought, yeah, that, could, that would still be tempting for me. I probably shouldn't. So I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to make a rule. Until I'm confident that going into a public bathroom would not be a temptation, I, I can't go into public bathrooms. So I held on to that self-imposed boundary for about two years. Um, sporting events, going to the mall, going to the movies, whatever. Uh, even at church, I don't use public bathrooms. After about two years, um, I was doing great spiritually, really turned things around, and I uh, was even on a church mission planting to start a small church in downtown Detroit. And so I was at some event, I was like, oh, I need to use the bathroom. I was like, oh, I can't use the bathroom. I was like, why can't I use the bathroom? Oh yeah, that self-imposed boundary. Um, okay, if I was in a bathroom and I saw a guy that I was attracted to, would that be a problem for me? I was like, yeah, no, that's not a problem. So I was like, okay, I can lift that boundary from my life. I don't have to live by that anymore. But I will tell you 
In 33 years, there have been times when I have felt uh, vulnerable and tired and um, struggling, particularly really feeling this need. And, and so there have been times in the last 33 years when I've had to reimpose that boundary for a period of a week or two just to say, you know what, I'm not feeling good right now. I just shouldn't be going into public bathrooms. Um, so that's one boundary. Another boundary, uh, a couple weeks after getting, joining this church, I got baptized, I joined this church, and they announced on Sunday, we're going to have a men's retreat. It was going to be in Niagara Falls. We're going to have a men's retreat in Niagara Falls. When church is done, we need all the men to go to the back in the foyer and sign up. I was like, oh, great. Never been to a men's retreat before. Cool. So I get, and I get to the table. Hi, my name's Guy. I want to sign up for that men's retreat. Uh, okay, great. Uh, you can have room with two guys or four guys. So my mind is like, well, wait a second. You shouldn't probably be sharing a bedroom with guys in various forms of undress showering, all this kind of stuff. Like, you're, you're a Christian now, right? And so, and I don't even know if I would be attracted to any of these guys, but why would I even set that precedent? So I just immediately thought, nope, can't do that. You got to have room by yourself. Two guys or four guys? Uh, actually, I need a room by myself. Uh, sorry, man, it's two or four. That's how it works here. So do you want to share with two? That's how the workshop is, man, two or four. No, I'm sorry, I don't share a room. I got to have room by myself. The guy's like, listen, dude, don't give me a hard time, man. I'm just here signing people up, you know? <laughs> Security, like, this guy's giving us a hard time. I'm like, why do I have to explain it to you people? I'm a grown adult, right? I'm 24 years old. I don't want a room to share. I'm getting my room. So it's just a boundary I live by. You know, since becoming a Christian 33 years ago, I've never shared a room, a tent, camping trips, anything like that. I've, I'm either by myself or I'm with my wife. Um, I don't share uh, any place. Uh, another example, um, Okay, so same kind of thing. Uh, the church uh, was going to have a hockey tournament, and they were going to have different parts of the church kind of face, literally face off against each other in this hockey tournament. So I was in this part of the church, and, the, the, and they were like, hey, you should join our hockey team so you, we can play this part of the church. And so I grew up playing hockey. I'm a good Canadian, uh, and uh, so I know how to play hockey. I played organized hockey. I love hockey. Uh, and I was like, awesome, man, I'm going to play. And then I was like, wait a second, same kind of thing, right? Like, Dressing room, change rooms, guys taking on and off their clothes, showering. Like, guy, seriously, come on, man. You got to live smart. You got to live on purpose. You got to be careful. Like, you can't go back to how you used to live. Do you really, sh should you be going into a change room where guys are taking off their clothes, putting on hockey equipment? I was like, yeah, I shouldn't be. So I didn't play, and I put in a new, I put in a new boundary. And uh, the boundary has been I do not go into change rooms, dressing rooms. I haven't now in 33 years. I've not played organized hockey or any sport in 33 years. I don't go to the gym. I don't go into a place where men are taking off their clothes. It's just a boundary, just how I live my life. So I got examples all over the place. Like I've got boundaries, rules, <laughs> stuff that I live with, but I, I do so because I'm going to live my life on purpose. I want to live my life carefully. Uh, I don't want to underestimate the power of Satan and what he's trying to do, so I, I really do the best I can. And we all need boundaries in our lives. If you're thinking to yourself, I don't have a boundary, then you scare me. So you're going to become a statistic someday, right? <laughs> Uh, you need to have boundaries. Uh, and then the other thing I would say is help people see themselves the way God sees them. So I used to have this recording going off in my head for years after becoming a Christian. So of course, you know, uh, wasn't, you know, probably within eight to 10 years after getting baptized, you know, this church hired me as a, as a junior minister. And then my kind of my career in the ministry started to rise from there. And so, um, it got to the point where I was pastoring a church in Halifax, Nova Scotia on Canada's East Coast. And um, anyway, for the, probably the first 15, 17, 18 years of my Christian life, I had this recording going off in my head. The recording was, 
um, guy, what is wrong with you that you can't change this? And if people knew who you really were, they would never love you. And the fact that you're attracted to men, you're dirty, you're a loser, you're a failure. I mean, I had just, just recording going off in my head all the time. And I got to the, I mean, I just lived that way. And I remember um, I was actually, so I'm in pastoring this church in Nova Scotia, and I'm actually working on my sermon. It was on a Saturday, and I'm just kind of finalizing my sermon for the next morning. And I'm talking about how much Jesus loves us, da 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 but my mind is saying, you're a failure, you're a loser, nobody would love you if they knew the truth. What's wrong with you? You can't change this. And, and so all of a sudden, I had this huge aha moment. Now, when I tell you what my aha moment was, you'll think that was it. Like, but to me, it was an aha moment. And my aha moment, I believe it was just the Holy Spirit slapping me upside the back of the head. The aha moment was, you know, guy, not everything you think is true. What? Not everything I think is true? Like, you mean it's possible that I think stuff and it's not true? And then my other thought that came to me was, if not everything you think is true, then you don't have to believe everything you think. I was like, wow. So you mean it's possible that I'm not a failure, I'm not a loser, people would love me if they knew the truth? Like, like wow, I've been telling myself all, all these years and I didn't even have to believe it. And then I just started reasoning. I thought, what loving parent would ever say that to their kid? Hey, I love you, son. By the way, I think you're a failure. You're a loser. Nobody would love you if they knew the truth about you. But you're great, son. Like, what dad would ever say that to the kid? So I was like, well, obviously God isn't saying that to me. So where are these thoughts coming from? Either from the devil himself or huge amounts of insecurity. Wherever it's coming from, I have to stop listening to this crap. Because it's not, can you say crap here? Uh, because it's not... It's not how God wants you to for us to think about ourselves. And so I just started countering those thoughts. And um, I started memorizing scripture about how God feels about us. You know, written on the palm of his hand. Knows how many hairs on our head. You know, all these scriptures. And then whenever I started going through that thought process that I was a failure and a loser and nobody would love me if they knew the truth, I just started countering it with biblical truth. And uh, it really changed my life. And I do not live that way anymore. I mean, I go through moments when I occasionally will have those thoughts, but those kinds of thoughts, that kind of fear and insecurity does not control me anymore. I control that. And so um, I would say that when you're helping somebody who's a Christian who's same-sex attracted, they have their own recordings going off in their heads and you need to help them to see themselves the way God sees them. And, and if you're coming from a homosexual background, you got the, I promise you they got a recording going off in their head and they need help and encouragement. So do everything you can to, you know, get them to erase that recording and, and lean on biblical truth. So we got like uh, 10 minutes left and I got two brief videos. I think they're each about three, three and a half minutes long, but I thought I would introduce you to a couple of people on my staff. And um, these are two amazing people. One guy is by the name of Brandon Redler. The other one is Morgan Roberts. Brandon Redler, I'll tell you briefly, uh, he, um, I first made contact with him about almost 10, well, 10 years ago now. Uh, at the time, uh, Brandon, when he was 18 years old, had a sex change and um, became a woman. He had full hormone therapy and surgery, had his genitals removed and became a woman at the age of 18 and changed his name to Desiree. And so Desiree lived in Orlando, Florida and was an accountant for Disney. And so she was living her very successful career at Disney as an accountant, living as a woman. And by uh, her mid-20s, Desiree was thinking, you know, I have done everything I can to make myself happy and fulfilled and still something is wrong. I just cannot figure out what it is. 
And of course, there was a lady at the next desk who kept inviting her to come to her church. And she was like, you know, I've never been to a church before. I don't know anything about this guy, Jesus, except what I hear at Christmas. So I don't know. Why don't I just give that a try? Uh, so um, Desiree went to the church and um, loved it. Uh, the women in the church started studying the Bible with her when they realized it was previously a man. I got a call from the elders of this church in a panic. What do we do? And um, so I just, I, I talked to her, uh, to Desiree, and uh, the question was, should Desiree get baptized as a woman or does she have to become a man to get baptized? That was the question. And I said, you know, giving your life to Christ is all about your heart and what's on the inside, not on the outside. And so I feel like she does not need to be, become a man again to get baptized. I said, that said, I do think that it would be a mistake for her to spend the rest of her life propagating the idea that she's a woman when really God's initial intent for her life was that, it, that he be a man. It's almost like saying, God, you made a mistake. God didn't make a mistake. Desiree made the mistake. So uh, uh, Desiree and I talked about this, and then it came to a point where she called me up when we, uh, on, it was like on a Thursday, and she said, hey, listen, I'm, I'm going to become a Christian. I'm getting baptized on Sunday. I was like, Desiree, congratulations. And then she said, and I've decided I want to become a man again too. I was like, whoa. I said, no one's expecting that or asking that right now. Like, uh, why are you doing that? And she said, you know, I just really believe that God's initial intent was that I be a man and I just need to go back to that. Like, I want to honor God with my life. And so Desiree went to Walmart, got a bunch of guy clothes, got his haircut, got her haircut, changed her name back to her, his real name, which was Brandon. And Brandon now works on my staff helping transgender people and Christians who are questioning this kind of stuff all around the world. So I'm going to show you a little video on him about how he lives as a Christian. And then Morgan, Morgan Roberts runs my women's ministry. She's going to talk about how she gets her faith and identity in Christ uh, and not about what other people think. So those are the two videos are about three minutes each and then we will be done. Okay, so anyway, two of my staff members, I have a whole group of people like that helping me run strength and weakness. And uh, so please avail yourself to our resources. If you would like me to come and speak at your church, uh, that's what I do. I'm booking for 2020 right now. Uh, I had, I've had six churches book me just in the last week. Uh, so if that's something you're interested in, you're like, our church needs to talk about this, and you know, you're, you're pretty good at what you do, then great. Let's talk. You can contact me. Uh, you, have my, you have that info, info at strengthandweakness.org. You can email me personally there or just ask for the movie or the book. Uh, and thank you so much for taking your time today to uh, hear me. I really appreciate that. Um, I'm, again, I'm sorry. I've got to leave because I've got to catch a flight. So I won't have time to stay and talk right now, but we're totally open to further dialogue uh, later. Uh, unless you want to come up and tell me that you'd like to donate to my ministry, uh, that, that I'm willing to hold off on a flight, depending on how much you're willing to give. Uh, so guys, thank you very much. Really, really appreciate that. Amen. Thank you. That's it for today's episode. Check out Winfield Bevan's ebook that we mentioned at the top of this episode by going to discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for Multiply Disciples by Winfield Bevins. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.